This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 150 of the Thursday Night Podcast, coming to you at a slightly earlier time this week and next week. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. It's a second straight victory pod and this one's special for Panther fans as it was hashtag state not southern on Saturday afternoon and Atlanta. We'll talk all about the Panthers' rivalry win and reset the scene now that the season is halfway done. Plus, for the first time this season, it's basketball time. We have first impressions of the brand new Convocation Center to discuss and some very early preseason talk about the team. But first, let's talk about that Georgia Southern game. It was a 41-33 win for the Panthers, which put them on a 6-3 series lead over the Eagles. It looked like a day for the Eagles early on when they scored in the first minute and 18 seconds of the game, but State started to take control thanks in part to three first-half interceptions of Kyle Vantrese and jumped out to a 17-point lead in the second quarter. Southern cut it to 27-17 at the half and got as close as four after the lone Georgia State turnover of the day. A Darren Granger interception led to a Georgia Southern touchdown drive that made it 34-30 with two minutes and 22 seconds left in the third. But a Tucker Gregg 33-yard touchdown run on their next drive made it a two-score Panthers lead again. And though Southern cut it back to eight with a field goal and had two more drives with a chance to tie the game, both ended in their fourth and fifth turnovers of the game and State closed out the win. Man, this one feels good, but I want to hear what you guys have to say about this big win. So I want to go a little bit backwards before we go into the game itself. And we were all at the 2014 game, right? That was David's first year in college. We were all there for the, the game that shall be forgotten. Yeah, that was a very fun game that I, I, I totally, totally have I, not forgotten. I bring it now. up for a good reason or a not reason just like to flash back to horror game, but POV. You're there, and someone from the future is like, hey, this game sucks. You're Georgia State student. You didn't want to see this. However, they're going to go 6-2 and two the next eight games in this series. You probably feel better. And POV, you're a Georgia Southern fan who loves the Paulson Stadium North they brought after one game, and you get told, this was a fun win for you guys. You're going to go 2-6 and six in the next eight of the series. It's just funny how things change and how we're sitting here when it really, after just that one game, it really felt dire. It really felt like there really is this gulf between these two programs, which maybe was expected because of the history they had versus the history Georgia State didn't have. But now we're here, another game. Georgia State was their third straight in the series. They're six and three against Georgia Southern all time. And Southern fans are on the you know they're they're on the ropes with this one like they have been just shook by the series going the way it has and I feel like it's one of those things where I maybe in kind of the same way where Georgia State fans are kind of shook by App and not having beat them yet they're kind of like feeling owned by Georgia State they should feel owned by Georgia State because to come back to that series point I can honestly argue that instead of it that Georgia Southern being two and six in the series since that 69 31 victory in 2014 they should be one and seven if dan doesn't tear his acl in 2019 georgia state very well can win that game and georgia state hung around in that game a little bit longer than they should have and 2019 i think was that one random year where southern was like yeah we're gonna be good again and you know that obviously win team they weren't they were both teams so 
Yeah. 2018 wasn't good for Georgia State, obviously. You know, that happens. That easily was a Southern victory. But a lot of these games have trended towards Georgia State. And the one, the couple that haven't, one can be explained by an injury to the most important position on the football field for Georgia State. And the other was just a good Southern team and a bad Georgia State team. A better Southern team, I should say. Other than that, Georgia State's kind of kicked the crap out of them, you know, and like this game, the final score didn't necessarily look to be the kind of record setting, you know, margin of victory that it had was on pace for at one point. But at the same time, though, Georgia State did just break their record for points in this in this rivalry series that their high before this was i think 31 in that first game 34 34 sorry 34 34 7 obviously happened um and i think they hit 34 again um but 41 you know i think they scored that very early in the fourth and just kind of you know didn't score again which is fine but it really looked like this was going to be a blowout in the similar way that the 2014 game was and you know, this is just kind of how Georgia State football plays Georgia Southern these days. Yeah, I think you can look at it as I'm sure the Georgia Southern, the big alarm bells will be about five turnovers, um, which is big plus marks for the Georgia State defense for forcing five turnovers. And there's probably a thought there that without those turnovers could have been more of a game. Maybe they could have taken control. Georgia State had a couple of opportunities to put the game like you were talking about away. You know, they were up. 27-10 right at the end of the first half had got just gotten the big uh Jamari Thrash touchdown to go up three scores had Georgia Southern back in the third down and stopped them on the third down a roughing the passer penalty extended the drive and then they end up scoring cutting it to 10 then later they kind of kept just putting points on the board moving the ball scoring and keeping the distance even as Southern continued to put up some points in the second half it flipped there in the, the third quarter when Southern got the interception where they cut it to 10. Then they cut it to four, uh, missing the extra point, getting it blocked by Justin Abraham. And then Georgia State scored to make it 11 again. And it, it was, it went down closer to the needed to. They got two more chances to have the ball and turn it over on those possessions. I still think we look at it, it's a situation where Georgia Southern was moving it through the air, but they were making some mistakes and more of Georgia State was making those mistakes happen a lot of ways. You know, Quay White just won in his assignment on a jump ball that Ventrice maybe shouldn't have thrown, but Quay had to go still win that to get the first interception. Uh, deflection on the second interception uh, that fell into Jamil's hands. He was in the right place at the right time, but also that is part of it, that he was there when he needed to be. He was following his keys and he got to the right place. John Trey absolutely laid out for the third interception in the first half. Um, Jordan Jones, that one was uh, on, on the fourth down play on Southern's first drive where they could have, when they were down eight, could have tied it. Um, pretty forced throw, pretty off his back foot, but Jordan Jones, again, slid in the right place, and he was right there. He was reading it. And then the last one was just John Trey Hunter going all out, laying out to force the fumble, popped it out, and who else but... The tied nation's leader, Jordan Venzi, out a fall on his third fumble in the last two games. And then Tucker Greg ran it out from there. Um, so it's the thing where it's mistakes by Georgia Southern. But in a lot of ways, I felt like it was also just like, this is what this defense has done. And the last thing about just that general point, 
They've forced 15 turnovers. That is top five in FBS right now. It's it's something that we've seen the last couple of years. They're probably going to break their record. I think they got 21 takeaways the last two seasons each. They're probably going to get past that this year. And it's just something that the last couple of seasons, they've really turned up the dial on. And it made a difference on Saturday. It's made a difference in a lot of the wins the last couple of seasons. That top five is they're tied for second. There's four teams tied with 15 turnovers, and they're two behind Coastal Carolina, who's at number one right now. And I mean, the defense, I think the the nice part about the defense is you look at the stat sheet and say, huh, Mantris didn't get sacked, okay? There's only two pass, there's only two quarterback pressures for Georgia State. This doesn't really make sense, but you know, watch the tape. Look at, look at exactly what the defense did. They were hitting him and pressuring him all night or afternoon. It was an afternoon game. What am I thinking? But you know, they made him uncomfortable. We talked last week. Ventrese is a guy who does sling the rock. He objectively, when he was completing passes to players in white, looked pretty good. Like I, I can say that there was a stretch there in the first half after the 65 yard completion that he didn't look good. But by the end of the game, and I mean, he threw 49 passes. He did ultimately almost he did look good. And they schemed open some. There were some really easy throws for him that like guys just went way too open. Some busts and some coverages kind of. And that'll happen. You right. make up for it with the five turnovers. It's not it's something you got to clean up, but that was the other part of it was that they did a nice job of getting their receivers open in some cases. And they do have better receivers than a team that's in year one of transitioning from a run first to pass first should have like credit to them. They've got some guys out there and they were making plays. Absolutely. And, you know, that is the that is the very interesting thing about this defense. I think they're finally learning that teams are just going to try to scheme away the very good defensive line. So you just really have to have guys on the back end make plays and force interceptions like Georgia State has been in it. I mean, like you mentioned, with all of the four, the four interceptions. Georgia State was in the right place at the right time. You know, they played the coverages very well. I thought that, you know, nobody I feel really bad for Bryquise Brown because that first obviously, the, you know, there was the 65 yard gain down the left sideline um, on the first drive for Southern. And yes, obviously, wasn't that's a great bad. omen. Wasn't it was a not. great omen on the first play of the game. It's not exactly <laughs> what you're looking for. Right. And the frustrating thing, too, is because when I saw that play live, I was like, oh, dang, Ben Trees is, you know, he's ready. He's juicy. He's just going to throw all over the secondary. And then I watched the replay and I was like, oh, Brayquise fell at the line of scrimmage. Like he he kind of accepts the the move. It was, you know, kind of a double move to the outside, knew he had outside leverage and just kind of fell, uh, which that sucks. And it, it caused a big play. And obviously Southern got a touchdown. Um, I, Georgia state did a good job of kind of making them earn that touchdown. There was a, I think it got to like a third down uh, before they punched it in, but Georgia state was able to keep Southern from doing disgusting things through the air. Yes. Obviously, you know, we talked about it last week. We don't care about yards. Like I do, I don't care about yards. There's this big thing in sports football where people kind of malign the bend don't break defense but it really it only doesn't work if you're breaking and i think that yes 33 points it would be a lot better if georgia state put up a couple more zeros and you know georgia southern outscored georgia state in the second half like yes that is a true fact but at the same time though especially you know 
with the way that Ventrice was struggling in the first half, this could have been a lot worse. If Ventrice was playing as well as he did in the second half, as he did in the first half, we're probably not talking about a Panthers win. So you definitely have to credit the defense for kind of forcing some of that action for, you know, being opportunistic with those turnovers. And, you know, Jordan Venziel's just always, if he, if the ball's on the ground, just make sure you find Jordan because he's probably going to come up with it. Yeah, and, uh, and some of the things, it, this was on across both sides of the ball. Uh, Georgia State had 13 penalties on the day. And again, kind of the same thing you were just talking about where penalty yardage as a whole, I don't think matters as just this number is bad. Like Georgia State over, had over 100 penalty yards. And that in itself, I don't really, it happens. And like, just as an example, they got a personal foul after an extra point on Southern's last touchdown of the first half. Kind of dumb that it was on Georgia State. I mean, that was the picture where the guy, if you saw it on Instagram, was holding up a piece of the guy's hair on Georgia State. Um, the flag was on the Georgia State guy. But moving past that, Southern was able to kick it off from the 50. And they just booted it out of the back of the end zone. And so it was a touchback like it was going to be if there was no penalty. And so that's a case where that's 15 penalty yardage that if you look at it in the box, like it adds to a scary number. But that particular play didn't have any impact on the game. But there were, of their 13 penalties, six that either wiped out a first down that Georgia State got on offense or gave Georgia Southern a fresh set of downs on defense. Two of those were on the drives offensively when Georgia State was up by eight late and they wanted to put the game away. And both those times they had to give the ball back and they got the turnovers each time. But it was a situation where or sorry, they got a turnover one of the times. I think they punted the other time maybe. Um, if they get a first down there, the way the offense had been rolling, they might have just kept getting first downs, kept moving down, kept moving the clock down closer to zero. Uh, those were two costly instances where it could have gotten less hairy late. And defensively, I talked about the first one earlier where it was the roughing the passer um, on one of the defensive linemen that extended the drive that let Georgia Southern cut it back to 10 at the half. There was another time where there's a third and 20 that there's a pass interference that extended a drive um, where I, it just he kind of just tackled the guy. And I don't think he necessarily even had to. And so when you have six of those 13 that are directly causing either you to not get a first down, milk some clock or letting them stay on the field like that was the issue, because if you want to talk about when it could have gotten away from Georgia Southern, you're up 27, 10. You force that three and out after Thrash gets a touchdown to make it a 17-point game. There's like three minutes left at that point. You could probably go down to score again, maybe. And even if you don't, you keep it at 17 and a half, and you get the ball out of the break. And they scored on the touchdown out of the break as it happens. So if you project that that happens in this other alternate universe, it's a 24-point game. All the momentum completely in your half. Everyone's feeling good. And that's a real hard obstacle to overcome. And so with the way the offense was humming, I don't think it's that hard to say that that could have been the case and you could have been talking about a much more comfortable rivalry win. And that's the type of stuff that it didn't cost you in this game. A lot of the hurting yourself has gone away to where it's not actually detrimental to the results because you've won the last two. But still, those little opportunities are the team, the, the games that teams that find the way to win the Sun Belt find a way to take advantage of and get some less stressful uh, end game situations going on. And that's important, especially given where Georgia state, you know, 
obviously there's a bye week this week and so it doesn't matter necessarily but the schedule doesn't necessarily get easier for georgia state and they're going to need to play much cleaner if they are going to you know upset some folks on their schedule later on and you know still try to make some noise but this was a good win and i think this was as projectable a win as georgia state has had this year i mean how long have we been talking? We haven't talked about the fact that they had a back-to-back games, two over 100-yard rushers. Honestly, everybody who rushed for Georgia State looked good. Marcus Carroll just only had two carries because he fumbled at a pretty inopportune time. But, you know, even his couple of runs were still good. You know, Jam, I mean, I, I don't know if he was in the doghouse or if he just was not feeling it a couple games ago, but he's right back to being who he was. I mean, Tucker... Tucker Gregg, do I even need to say any more? And, you know, we I, I want to give you immense credit because last week you mentioned how, you know, one thing that will better unlock Darren is the design quarterback runs. And, you know, there's obviously that screenshot of the very obvious design Darren run that he had. But he, you know, his runs in this game were incredibly effective. And, you know, the offensive line, I think the offensive line played the best that they have all year. You know, 100 percent, especially, you know, there were times in the Army game they played similarly. But I think for longer stretches in this game, I mean, some of those holes was like a Mack truck sized hole, like the one where Jam had a 42 yard run, uh, the the drive where only he touched the ball five plays or six plays, 75 yards. And he had all of them. The first play, I mean, they just created that seal up the middle. It was the same on Tucker's touchdown for 33 yards in the fourth quarter. Like they were really helping out their running backs today and the running backs. I mean, those guys know to wait for the opening and then they hit it. And you saw that on full display. It's really one of the hallmarks of what's made this offense so good the last few years under Coach Elliott, Coach Glenn, Coach McKnight is those plays like that, just where the running back can't mess it up. The hole is just too good. And those, you know, those are the bread and butter plays that Georgia State was missing earlier in the year. And the... The short yardage stuff has improved. Like I, you know, we can be honest and say that the short yardage stuff has improved, especially the last couple of weeks. But I think those Mack truck type plays and, you know, increasing the frequency of those bigger plays has been kind of the spark that this offensive line has not spurred. So, hey, if if they're ready to play and, you know, Georgia State has them now, obviously you welcome that because that's very important for them going forward if they're going to keep running the ball. And it we've talked about it. And it follows pretty logically, but the more you have plays like that and the more everyone has to just get sucked in by the run game, the thrash touchdown happened because of that. You know, if you go back and watch it, they rushed three on that play. I feel like they're probably playing the run a little bit because they had five guys in the box just kind of hanging in little zones. And so the guys on the perimeter were on an island and thrash just beat his guy. It was basically the same play, almost the exact same distance as the cradle touchdown against army where just one guy out on the perimeter, one is assignment, which they've been doing with some regularity. And Darren had a pretty easy throw, put it right on the money. And there just wasn't that help there because they were so invested in, you know, they couldn't let the run game keep gashing them. Uh, you're seeing all of the ways in which getting the run game back to the way that we've expected it to be has helped out the offense. And now you've, it feels like the, the passing game is so much more suited to be that extra layer, like in ways it hasn't been in years past. And I don't know whether that's Darren's improvements or whether that's the the wide receiver group is good, which I think it's both of those things for sure. I don't know if it's 
new play caller guy who's got that passing game background who's maybe added new ideas or just has been saying like this is the time to make that shot but whatever it is or what whatever collective of those things it's really making it a dangerous thing to where you know I I will be honest that Georgia Southern and Army's defenses might be some of the worst that Georgia State has played or will play the rest of the year. And so you can't bank on 300 yards on the ground every game and having those wide open receivers every game. But you're starting to see what happens when this offense clicks. And I still think whether you're putting up 41 a game or not, there's still going to be those opportunities the rest of the season because those guys trust themselves to make those plays. The run game has been opening up more and more things to where teams have to so honor the run game that it really feels like everything is coalescing on offense right now. It's not just about the fact that they've played some defenses they've been able to take advantage of. I think that they're really kind of finding their groove. I mean, if you take the South Carolina passing game numbers out of the equation, the Darren numbers are great this year. And it's been getting, you can tell it's been getting more comfortable. And, you know, the interception wasn't super, a little bit under pressure and tried to force a throw. But those are going to happen, and you kind of have to – like quarterbacks can't be like on the chopping block for one interception here or there. You know, Maybe four uh, maybe makes you a little nervous like on the other side. But I thought that – you know, I think I said last week something about like instead of 12 passes, get it to like 20, and I think they finished with 21 passes. Like I think – there are those still growing opportunities to find more of those plays. And I'm going to be interested to see how they keep going to those. The running point is interesting because you're right. I think Georgia Southern and army were two of the worst defenses that Georgia state is going to see. And they still have to play Marshall and James Madison. James Madison is apparently the best run defense in the country. They're allowing 42 rushes or 42 rushing yards a game. They played five games i will caveat with that um but you know they've been good marshall also top five allowing 70 what 71 a game you know something like that so those are numbers that are less than what georgia state did against coastal but we're getting to the point where it's a little bit bulletproof with georgia state you know coastal is a top 40 rush defense in the country, you know, and I, th- I think Georgia State had the potential to get to where they've been against Coastal had game situation not dictated that Georgia State be out of their offense. You know, Coastal did do a good job of, you know, containing what Georgia State did. I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't want to take away what Georgia State did there. Um, but I think Georgia State is a better rushing team than like App State. App State struggled rush- running the ball both last week and against James Madison. You know, Marshall hasn't played App State, but they played Notre Dame. Notre Dame only rushed 130 yards against them. And Georgia State is a better rushing team than Notre Dame. So it's definitely something to watch as the season goes on. Um, but you're right with the way that the passing game is kind of working right now. You you do have to just take out that South Carolina game and just say, you know, first game jitters. While Quay White had a great homecoming that day when he returned to South Carolina, maybe Darren was the other way. So it's something that has gotten a lot better. And, you know, I really think you can say that this offense is going exactly where we expected them to go right now. And like the raw numbers again, this is why numbers can be misleading because because they run so much and they're a top 10 rushing offense. 
almost necessarily the passing numbers aren't going to be that high. I think they're 95th in passing offense right now. But if you look at the teams around them in the passing standings, they're doing it on less attempts than a lot of the other teams. Like in some of the cases, there's some teams maybe in the, the five spots or so around them in the total passing de- offense that have like 30, 50 more passing attempts. So I think Georgia State's doing a really good job of getting bang for their buck when they are passing the ball. And you know they were 4-14 uh, on third downs, not great. And there were a couple of those mixed in that were completed passes on third down that got wiped out by penalties. I think that they're finding some comfortability that maybe isn't completely there in the numbers because you know they only they missed on ten of the fourteen um, third down conversions in this game. But like when it gets to third and medium, you're seeing Darren have Jamari Thrasher go to on the outside, not for the big go plays, but just for getting past the sticks. And there's another one. Uh, it was on the fourth downs too. There were two fourth down conversions. Both were fourth and four from the Georgia Southern 39. It was identical down in distances on the same yard line, which is very weird. Um, one of them was to thrash for the yardage. One of them cradle found a soft spot and got the yardage. And so I don't think that that's necessarily where Darren has thrived just naturally as a quarterback, but I think you're seeing him make more of those throws. There's like the quick get past the sticks, turn around and hit them in the hands and move the chains. Uh, I think as as the week continue, maybe we're going to see more success in the actual, like the third down rate continues to go up. Uh, But I've noticed that recently that you're starting to see more of those throws connect. And that's another promising thing because if you're, you know, third and six and you're not in the red zone and you're not feeling like it's four down territory necessarily, you're not, you know, you might be backed into passing on those plays because you don't want it to risk it being. Or I guess you, I, what I'm trying to say is just it gives you so many more options in those situations if you feel like you're getting that comfortability. I don't think that that was always the case. I don't think it's something that's Darren's main hotspot is throws like that, but I think he's getting better at them. Yeah, if I could nitpick those specific throws for a second. Um, th- it would, Georgia State runs a lot of like those comeback routes. Um, and that interception that Darren threw the kind of funny thing about that interception is they ran the same play to Jamari Thrash a little bit later on a couple of third downs, and he did a really good job coming back to the ball to get the first down on those plays. But when it wasn't a third down on the interception play, he just kind of didn't, and it led to the guy being able to jump the route. So, you know, the connection is definitely getting better with Darren and his receivers, but that I did find that to be something that was kind of interesting. Um, and I, I don't... Darren still made a bad throw. You know, there is a way to make that throw a little bit better. Um, so only Thrash could hit that. Uh, you know, I don't want to completely put the interception on Thrash or anything like that. But, you know, the ability and the addition of different routes in this route tree has been huge for Georgia State because th- I, passing is officially a weapon, you know, and not just in the deep, like the deep ball has been there. You know, we've already talked about that today, but just the passing in general has been so much better. It is so much more versatile and you know they use it in a variety of different ways that it's just it's, you have to, you might not see georgia state post a 300 yard passing day but you know you still have to honor the pass and you can't just sit in the box like teams are going to want to yeah and i guess continue on this the nitpicking trend of the game a couple of more opportunities where i guess it works both ways here because 
the thing I'm going to say that Georgia State could have done better is also something Georgia Southern did well that kept them in the game. And it's just that both teams had to settle for field goals on half of their red zone trips. Each team got four red zone scores and two of them were uh, touchdown, two of them were field goals. And Georgia State, it's where the Tucker Gregg runs at the end of the game. You got little short yardage redemption and you got there where the final thing in the big game and the final thing in the game was the success in the short yardage, which has been somewhat of a not as good as it's been in previous years. Earlier in the game on those red zone trips, you had a first and goal at the six and you had to settle for a field goal. And that's just a situation that Georgia State's got to make seven. If they score a touchdown there instead of a field goal, it makes the first half a little bit more of a ugly scoreline. There was another instance where it didn't get into the red zone, but it was after the second interception. They started the ball and started the drive, I think, on the Georgia Southern 38, had to settle for a field goal. Um, And then flipping it around. This is, again, where Georgia Southern fans, Georgia Georgia Southern podcasters would say, the same that we just did that you got to make account for points, but the Georgia state defense did a good job in a couple of instances where those field goals they held them to were really key to the game because you know, Thomas Gore got a tackle for loss on the drive. The Georgia Southern was driving down 11. They get a touchdown there. They can cut it to six or eight, depending on if they get a two point conversion, they have to settle for the field goal to make it a one score game. But even then, even as they had multiple more possessions, it was just such a different feeling than if they're going into a drive, getting the ball back with a chance where a field goal ties it or a touchdown gives them the lead without any extra point or two point conversion. And there was another one uh, in the first half where they came up with a nice red zone stop, held them to a field goal. It kept them in the lead. It, it, Georgia Southern got a field goal to make it 13-10 instead of getting a touchdown. It would have put them up top by one couple of instances where you know i'm giving the praise for the defense for making those plays and the offense in those situations has to get better obviously every defense is trying to get stops in the red zone and so it's georgia southern did their job in those instances just as much as georgia state didn't but especially the one where it was first and goal at the six like that's just one that easy money for georgia state and they did that later in the game they got you know tucker scored on a first down play inside the georgia state 10 later in the game and they got the fourth down uh, going for it there on that final drive to ice the game for good. So they're able to, and we're as the game went on able to get those situations going. I just think earlier in the game, if you have those hit, it's another situation where the game didn't have to be as close as it was, but you got the job done. You got those things done better later in the game. So can't nitpick too much. Isn't it exciting that we get to talk about all the ways that Georgia state could have beat the, ever loving you know what out of southern even more than they already did i love this and another thing and this is the most vain part of anything we've just talked about the black jerseys came back and they won in them so the black jerseys came back after a loss and are going to come back after this one because they won i mean i don't know that we're going to see them again in 2022 because i don't think there's going to be an opponent or like a night game situation where it like warrants it but everyone rejoiced it was awesome atlanta black jerseys they're going to make a return again Okay, so we've talked about this win, and uh, currently Panthers sit at 2-4 and four and 1-1 one and one in Sunbelt play. So at the halfway point of the season, how are we feeling? How, how are we going to compare this to our preseason predictions? I mean, that one is just the first word is poorly because it is an underperformance of what the preseason expectations were. And even if it was just 3-3 three and three and you beat Charlotte, you'd feel better. That, that loss until Georgia State gets a 
Rick was, you know, a win on the other side of things where it's one they weren't expected to, whether that's beating App State or beating James Madison or beating Marshall on the road. Like that one's going to sting until the season goal gets on, gets back on track. And the season goal is not going to get back on track until they pull one of those upsets. Uh, and I think we probably underestimated the effect of what playing the September schedule that they had was going to have on them. Like it was a hard first two games. And then Charlotte, it came at a weird time. And I don't know if it was a combination of just like, we're not playing a team as good as that. And so we can go into this one and beat them. Even if we play like that and then Charlotte out efforted them in that game and just wanted it more. And then you played coastal who is undefeated. And then, I think you felt like you could have given yourself a better shot in that game with a less slow start. And, uh, you know, the sum total of that was four losses, not feeling very good. I think the best thing you can say is you're coming into this bye week feeling good and you're coming into this app state game feeling good. And you've got these two wins. And so two and four probably would have been a disappointment no matter what. But if you're looking at just the way it can go forward, if you're going to have them come two in a row like this in October, if you had, to, if it was like, you're going to have a two and four record, not the worst thing necessarily, because I think the team is in a good spot as we speak. They are in a good spot. You know, the schedule was hard. You didn't mention the power five teams, but they were combined. They are a combined nine and three now between South Carolina and UNC and UNC's one loss was a rather interesting loss to Notre Dame. But other than that, UNC is doing what they need to do to win games. You know, they're playing, they're beating teams that they should beat. And, you know, that's really, that's really all that is They're They're playing this week to kind of ensure their spot in the big not the big, the ACC championship later on this year. And obviously it's, it's very early. They have, you know, some tougher teams later on on their schedule, but you know, they're playing Duke this week and that is a very important game for them with South Carolina. Their two losses are to a ranked Arkansas team at the time and a number one overall Georgia by a lot. And that's just kind of what a lot of teams are facing right now when they're playing in the SEC. So I mean, yeah, it would have been nice if Georgia State could have pulled off one or maybe both of those upsets. But I think the disappointment for Georgia State now in terms of where they are is that Coastal game. Coastal's undefeated. Coastal's having a very good year. Don't invite a team to your house and lose by 17 points. You know, the Charlotte game, disappointing. But it's hard to be too disappointing in the end result, knowing just how that game went. You know, we could be talking, we, we were so close to talking about a win. You know, it wasn't one play at the end of the game that kind of make or made or break the game. I think, you know, if I, I've mentioned it for a couple of weeks now, if Hayes hits an extra point, you know, maybe that game goes to overtime. Maybe somebody's aggressive on one of those second half touchdowns and gets a two point conversion. And, you know, maybe it's flipped, but I don't know. But that game was disappointing because a defense who was playing relatively well at the time stopped playing relatively well. And the last two weeks, the defense has made plays at the end of the game that if they had made in that Charlotte game, we wouldn't be talking about a two and four Georgia State. We're we're probably talking about a three and two. That's not how math works. We're probably talking about a three and three Georgia State, which is still disappointing for our preseason, you know, expectations. But at least they would have won all of the games on their schedule that they quote unquote should have won. 
And, you know, I think that's important, especially going into this buy, going into the next couple of weeks, because, I mean, I'll just come out and say it. And everybody on this podcast knows my thoughts on App State. This is as gettable as an App State team as we've seen in a while. You know, obviously, James Madison is the darling of the Sun Belt right now, along with Coastal. But, you know, by the end of the season, James Madison might have a loss on their schedule. Yes, that game is at James Madison, but Georgia State could go there and beat them. They can. They absolutely can. And as far as the other teams on the schedule, there are some fine Sunbelt teams, but there are Sunbelt teams with a lot of question marks that I don't think Georgia State has. You know, Old Dominion offensively is not a good football team right now, especially when it comes to running the ball. And that's something that, you know, time and time again has shown is what beats Georgia State. If you're running the ball and have an effective pass, congratulations. You know, Southern Miss, I think, is still there. They have a decent defense and are kind of fighting some things, but, you know, they're still not where they want to be. And UL Monroe, kind of the same thing. You know, none of those teams are teams that are necessarily fighting to be at the top of the Sun Belt West right now. And then with Marshall, Marshall's in a weird spot. Obviously, after the, you know, Notre Dame upset that everybody saw, everybody kind of expected them to be, you know, a little bit better, you know, in the Sun Belt. They've only played one Sun Belt game so far. So, you know, we'll, there's still time to get some data on them. And, you know, they played Troy. We, you know, Troy is a team that we expect to be kind of in the conversation for the Sun Belt West. So, you know, Marshall hasn't played any of the East folks yet um, and won't for a while, actually. Their next, well, a couple of weeks. Their next game is against Louisiana. So, you know, that's not really going to help us learn anything. But, you know, if Marshall drops that game, you know, it's probably going to end up being a disappointing year for Marshall, too, because they'll be sitting on two Sun Belt losses before they even face a team from the East. And they have to go to Old Dominion, host App State, and then face the Georgia schools. So, you know, that's not going to be an easy treading for them. And all of that is to say, while disappointing from a win-loss perspective, I think Georgia State is kind of where they should be in terms of if you look at the schedule and you kind of look at where some other teams are. I mean, they're still in the East race. They only have one loss. They've only played two games, but they won the first game that they needed to. And so if they just approach it with that kind of men- with that kind of mindset, get some help. We're not we're not talking about a team that is out of the East race at all. And, you know, they should still be considered a team that can potentially make some noise. And I think when you're looking at just what you just laid out, the, just the opportunities in the back half of the schedule and the challenges that there are. Where they're at right now makes you feel better about it because versus after that Coastal game, there were questions about like what's going on with the run game. Last couple of weeks, something you're going to have to keep doing every game, but you feel better about the way the offensive line played. You feel like the running backs are hitting their stride. Uh, defensively, you were looking for something, you're looking for these, and they've gone out and just forced the eight turnovers in the last two games. That You're not going to average four turnovers a game forced probably, or if you do, you're definitely going to win a lot of these games down the stretch. Um, but you're seeing that happen, and you hope to maybe continue to see some of the crispness come back on the defense and avoid some of the lapses. But you've seen something to go on there. And so I think that instead of it being like the hope and pray hour, like there's actually been stuff in the last couple of weeks when they've gotten the wins that if they keep doing that, it's easy to see things continue to turn around. And the reason we can say that is because that's basically how it happened last year. 
And it's just the stuff that started happening about midway through the season continued all the way through the end of the year and got them a lot more wins than losses. And, you know, as we sit here, they're two and four, got a mountain to climb and a dragon they've not yet slayed in App State in their next game. And that game will mean a lot. And that game can show a lot about what this last two weeks was and what this last two weeks wasn't and how the rest of the season is going to play out. All right, so let's shift gears a little bit because it is a bye week after all. And uh, Brady and I had a little bit of fun last week. Got to take a media tour of the new Georgia State Convocation Center with uh, head coach Jonas Hayes showing us around the building a little bit. Uh, Guys, this building is awesome. It is a huge, huge, I I can't even begin to describe how much of an improvement over the sports arena this building is. Uh, I know there's an album of photos on Panther Talk, if you haven't seen yet, that uh, I took when Brady and I were over there. So go check that out if you haven't. Uh, The building is really, it's I mean, it's it's great. I don't know what else really to say about it short of just gushing for another 20 minutes, but that's not why we're here. We want to talk about actual uh, actual stuff that we've seen. Uh, Brady, I'd like to know uh, your initial thoughts, and then I can uh, come in after that. But uh, yeah, what, what did you think when we went to go take a look at the building on Thursday? Yeah, I mean, I've just kind of been anticipating the time we actually would get to get in the building, and I appreciate Georgia State Athletics for setting all that up and giving us that opportunity I, it wasn't a case of like expecting it wouldn't happen, but as the days went on, I was like, I kind of want to at least get in there first before the first game, just so I know where I'm supposed to be going. Like, I, just so I have the lay of the land before I have to go in there for like actual like game day stuff. Um, it happened. Awesome to do with Jonas there answering some questions, just giving us the tour, walking us around. Um, good local media representation, other than us there as well, which is always nice to see. Um, eyeballs on the program and such. And yeah, I think there's always you know thing here or there that like you want this for the arena, this um, hanging a scoreboard to be determined. I think there's going to be the one at some point, but I'm not talking necessarily literally with like every wish anyone could have wished for when I say this. But I think on like just a checklist of things that people wanted from this building, I think it ticks just about every box. Like I think that it's got everything that you were hoping it was going to be when you were going to leave the sports arena, because there was a certain outdated wooden, every stuff, you know, everything's wooden stairs from the seventies charm about the sports arena that Georgia state made their own and making the move was a necessary thing, I think for the program. And I think it's also true that you could have moved into a building that it was like, okay, it was for this. And this is like a newer building, but it's not like an upgrade in any sense, but the way it panned out, I think it's absolutely upgrade in every sense of the word. Definitely excited to see it with people in and with a full crowd and just going crazy because I think one of the things about the sports arena that you were maybe thinking you might lose with a new place is just kind of the intimacy and this, the, t- the closeness and how that place could just get raucous. And the Convocation Center is still pretty small, as, as small as a 7,500 seat building that hosts basketball games can be. And I think that helps because I think when there is a full crowd in there and when everyone is in the game, I think it's going to keep all of the atmosphere that you got when the sports arena was rocking just in a fancier place that is going to be more of just the gem of the Georgia state basketball program. 
Yeah, it's uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I was in there and I was thinking, you know, we saw this building literally get built from the ground up over the past, what, year and a half, two years. And you, you look at that shell of all the steel framework and everything when we we're here last year for football games. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, that's a really big building. I'm, I'm kind of worried that it's not going to have that same intimate feel and it's not going to not going to get loud with 3,500 people in there. But when we, we, we go in there to take the tour of the building and you get this sense of scale that, yes, this is a big building. This is a big facility and you have the capacity for over twice as many people as a sports arena normally holds for basketball. But it doesn't feel cavernous like the Georgia Dome did for football in the early years when you only had a very small fraction of the actual building's capacity present. The the upper level seats, the front row of those, I think might actually be closer to the court than they were in the sports arena. And if you ever sat on the fourth floor, then you know that you're, you're really not that far away from the court. But because of the way the, the building is tiered and you have the, the cantilevered uh, upper level above just a little bit of the lower seats, you have this closeness to the court that I think is really, really similar to what you would have had in the sports arena. You have the feel on the lower level. You're close to the court. You're not super far away like in, say, for example, these big arenas that the conference tournament's held in. Uh, Lakefront Arena, if you ever went to the, the Sunbelt Tournament in New Orleans, you were really far from the court. When you were in the front row of that arena, you, you could have been, I don't know, 40, 50 feet away from the court. But in this one, you're pretty much right on top of it, just like you would have been in the sports arena. And you have you have that intimacy, you have that close feel, and you have all four sides now. Instead of just two sides, and then I guess this counts three rows behind the baskets, you have all four sides of the lower bowl are surrounded by seats. You have courtside seats on the baselines. You have courtside seats down the entire sideline uh, on the opposite side of the scorer's table. So it's it's going to get loud. If you get a good crowd in there, it's going to get loud. The building is really, really well designed from a uh, line of sight standpoint. Like there's really, okay, I, I saw one bad seat in the very upper corner of the upper level of the student section that you, you have like a tiny, a tiny portion of the court that you can't see, but no one's going to be sitting there. The building holds 8,000 people. You're, you're not going to fill that for most of these games. So like everywhere else in the building, you have these amazing sight lines. You have great visibility of almost the entire thing. You have that huge wall of windows on the north side of the building behind the student section with all those bleachers and everything that, uh, well, there's trees there now. Supposedly they're going to be cut down soon. And then you can actually see the, uh, the Atlanta skyline like they had been hyping up forever in these different renderings and stuff. But I, but also on yeah. that, mm -hmm. there's curtains there. Right. So the one thing I thought when I saw that is glare might be an issue, but as long, you know, the trees, I think long-term hopefully are gone. I think that's an Atlanta city problem that hopefully they get sorted out, but it's not going to be a situation where like the student section is going to have to like worry about the, the sun sunburn on, their back on the back of their heads. Yeah. Like weird, like guy goes to take a three and falls down covering his eyes because he gets <laughs> blinded by the sun. Like they've, covered for that and they have curtains up there that i'm assuming are going to not be up on night games or maybe they're going to be there i don't know but i the thought was there to avoid that being an issue because that was my one thought looking at just like the renderings like i feel like the sun's coming you know setting and rising there might be an issue but not not so Right. They did a they did a really good job of handling that. You can actually in the photo album that's up on Panther Talk, there is a picture I took from the opposite end of the upper level. You can actually see there are kind of like individual, I guess, like a gray 
uh, it's like a fabric or a canvas or some other type of material that they they slide down and there's individual sections that can be at various heights. So ostensibly, they can have some sort of way to dynamically control the way the light comes into the building, which I think is cool instead of just having, all right, well, you have a giant wall. It's either completely closed or completely open, but you, you can have that uh, variability depending on the environment that you're in. Uh, let's see, what, what else? The, uh, well, I should say, yeah. Jordan was getting all of these pictures, and it was fun because um, me and a couple other people were like talking to Coach, getting some quotes and stuff, and just every once in a while, like in our my line of sight from where we were standing near those curtains, just see Jordan at the top of a different section at the top <laughs> level. I think he got a view from just about every section there was to get. Jordan was definitely doing his job as far as just covering the entire like like you said he even gives reviews and i would say like i'd challenge george state fan base to like make make sure that someone has to sit in the cd lined out and you know make that a thing that like that seat does have to be in use because there is the capacity crowd all the time yeah that's gonna be it's gonna be really really cool the first time well first of all the first time anyone's in the building is gonna be special uh, i believe that's halloween night hosting morehouse but that first time you get that building to capacity and you get people really, really into the game like you would have had in the, I guess, the peak Ron Hunter era of sports arena crowds before COVID and all that stuff came by. And you had this, I guess, what, 3,800 people would have been uh, fire marshals angrily banging on the door capacity crowd at the sports arena. Yeah, I think they got yeah. there the last home game a couple of those seasons. Yeah, that's it's going to be it's going to be loud like it's. I'm really excited for it, and not to not to disparage the sports arena because after all, that place is home more or less, or was home as of uh, as of this uh, academic year. But the, let's just face it: that building was never designed to be a D1 basketball arena. Like I'm venturing to say, most of you listening to this podcast have probably been to at least one game there, and you remember you have a you have a full building, 3,500 people in there. You have one hallway with one concession stand, one set of bathrooms, and an escalator. This building, you have so much more than that. You have, I, I guess, I think I counted three different concession stands. You have multiple sets of bathrooms. You have big, wide open concourses around the entire perimeter of the building. You have really good circulation. You have staircases. You have multiple elevators that probably won't drop you. Um, yeah, hands up if you ever fell down in one of those. But the... Uh, the best thing I think about it is you finally have an arena that you feel is worthy of the hype and the prestige and the ambiance of this basketball program that has, quite frankly, achieved so much more than a lot of people would ever have been willing to give them credit for if they just saw, OK, well, Georgia State plays in the third floor walk up gym. That's what everybody loves to call it. But no, you're, you're not playing in an old physical education building that they changed the name of because Dave Cohen said, Hey, we've got to have a better name for this building. Shout out to Dave Cohen, 40 years broadcasting. I know he's going to be really, uh, really excited to call games in this new arena. And I'm really excited to take pictures. I know Brady's going to be really excited to be down there on media row. And I hope all of you are excited to be in the stands cheering on the Panthers. I cannot wait. And lots of opportunities, you know, the home out of conference schedule is there's so many games like Georgia state's only playing two road games in out of conference play. And I think there's a lot of that is, you know, Jonas has the team, like they had their first practice in the arena today as of when we're recording, he invited back alums to see practice. He, I, he was excited about that when we were talking to him at the media day, 
I'm glad that, that had to happen. You got to happen. They're going to be practicing there throughout the month. And I think another part of it is that they're going to be playing games there all through the fall to where they're really getting comfortable in it being their home. And that's also just, you know, listeners, Georgia state fans anywhere. There's a lot of opportunities to get in there for the first time or the second time or the third time, every game this fall, you know, any day of the week, you know, whatever opponent you're looking for, if you're looking for the, one of the, would know you're going to go and see a win, whether you want to see them play Georgia Tech, whether you want to see them play a team like Belmont, who's a good mid-major program, the type of program that Georgia State wants to be like on the, you know, in the win-loss record year in, year out. There's a lot of chances to go there in year one. And I really think that that is, you know, the biggest positive from that scheduling aspect is just that people are going to have a lot of times where they can go see them play in this new arena. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of opportunities, but let's also not forget just how huge of a boost this is going to be for recruiting for the team. Because think about the level of talent that the past three coaching uh, coaching regimes have had the chance to pull into Georgia State University with the facilities that we had up until this building opened. And just think about you, you're entertaining recruits coming in. They see this world-class facility and they see the commitment that the school and the uh, President Blake's administration are putting into the basketball program and athletics and the university in general. And that's, I don't know, I think that's going to be a huge, huge game changer. And I think uh, Coach Hayes even made a uh, comment as to that during the media availability while we were there. Yeah, he definitely did. And this is uh, no longer paraphrasing what he said. This is a, a, my own thing I'm adding on, but... I feel like you're talking about, I forget who the country artist is, but champagne on a beer budget. Georgia State's trending towards champagne on a champagne budget. Not there yet, but this arena gets you a lot of the way there. It gets you more towards that direction. Like you say, it's an arena fitting a program that's been what it's been on the court. So if you, for some reason, have not had the chance to uh, make it down and at least take a look at the building, uh, you're in luck because tomorrow, as of the posting of this podcast, that's Wednesday evening, the 12th of October, uh, there is the basketball tip-off event starting at 5.30 p.m. You're going to hear from uh, head coaches Jonas Hayes and Gene Hill and uh, talk a little bit about Panthers basketball. And then if you've purchased your season tickets, you can select your seats at that event. Uh, there's going to be all sorts of... Uh, fun time to be had there go see the new building and uh, get connected with people in uh, advance of this new basketball season new era in georgia state athletics so uh, i'll be there parents are season ticket holders for basketball so uh come say hi and if not then hopefully we'll see you in one of the first games at the new arena but that is all the time we have for this week again uh, it's a bye week for football we got all this uh, basketball fun stuff coming up and uh, we'll be looking forward through the bye week into the next opponent, App State, up in Boone, North Carolina. But we will have another podcast episode before then. So keep it locked here. Uh, we'll be posting on Panther Talk again as well. And we will catch you in the next episode. Bye-bye.